Um, so we're starting a, a series on prayer today. And uh, if, if I had to look at my life, I would probably tell you that the weakest aspect of my spiritual walk is, is prayer. Some of y'all said, oh, shoot. <laughs> That's the pastor. Okay, don't ask him to pray. All right, you hear that, Gertrude? Don't ask him to pray, you know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say I didn't pray or I couldn't pray. I'm just saying if I'm looking at my life, I feel like prayer is the one thing I really got to work on hard. Is, is it just me? Anybody else? It's the one thing I really got to invest in. I love reading the Word. I love studying the Word. I love those things. I, I, there's a lot of different aspects, but, but prayer is something I got to pay attention to. It's something I got to really put myself in. It's not the best aspect of my spiritual walk. And, and I'm telling you, but Jesus already knows this. And so here's the struggle I have when I look at my prayer life. And let me just ask you the same things. How do you know you got a great prayer life? How, how are you measuring that? So, so I can't count the number of demons I've cast out, so that ain't going to work for me. I can't count the number of dead people I've raised to life. That ain't working for me. Or even healings. I can't even count the number of, of prayers that I have um, prayed and answers have been given right away. I, I believe they've been answered in different spots and different times, and I've, I've heard some answers come back. Praise God for those answers. But I don't think there's so much that I could say, <clears throat> boy, my prayer life is good, you know. I pray and rain comes down because I wish I could pray rain come down right now. But matter of fact, Lord, let it rain come down tomorrow morning. I think we have a 70% chance to let it fall. But I know that when I look at my life, and I wonder if you look at your life and we look at our prayer life to see if it's great, I wonder if we measure it through typical Western philosophy, you know, the Americanistic way of praying that says bigger is better, right? Um, that, that we know our prayer life is great because it's being produced. It's producing something. I wonder what prayer really is. Is prayer always moving us up and to the right? Or is there a, a, a sense about prayer that has nothing to do with how measurable it is, but maybe how meaningful it is? And so as we begin a journey of prayer, I'm just going to be honest with you, over the next several weeks, I'm just going to put you in my life, and you can just backpack alone. I'm just going to preach to myself through you. And so if you ever feel like, well, Pastor Scott's coming hard, then get out of my way because I'm trying to talk to myself. But what I really hope, I really hope is that you'll go with me on this journey. From what I feel prayer is, from duty to delight because I know there's many times in my life I look at prayer I go that's duty I got to get that done got to check that box and then I miss that there's so much delight in it and so that's what I want to pray this morning over us but before we do let me just tell you what I I have been putting together in my life and I'll tell you what I feel like prayer is and what prayer is not now this is not a exhaustive list. It's just what is good for me right now. So again, I'm talking to you, but I'm really talking to me. Scott, prayer is not limited to a certain time or a set time. 
Prayer is not simply getting what you want, but realizing who you are in the eyes of God. Prayer is not to force our will, but to change our will through the will of his word. Prayer is a practice. Prayer is, in its simplest form, our response to God. Prayer is a response to our innate but fragmentary knowledge of God. Prayer is the path to maintain a proper relationship between God and a person. Prayer is the creator as well as the channel of devotion to God. Prayer is the only weapon of the saints. Prayer is the cornerstone of all faith. Prayer is like spiritual breathing to a Christian. Prayer is the key to open the morning and lock the night. Prayer is a personal meeting with God. Prayer is the root of a tree that bears spiritual fruit. Prayer is to long for God who watches over us. Prayer is to meet God who waits for us. Prayer is our need crying out for help. Prayer is the voice of faith to the Father. Prayer is the living word in our lips of faith. And prayer is asking God to do what we cannot do ourselves. Scott, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing necessary to a minister. Prayer is to experience the imminence of God and to realize the presence of God. And prayer is the union of God's tears and our tears. I found this nice little poem here just to remind me of what prayer is as well. It says, prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear. The upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. And prayer is the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod. Lord, teach us. How to pray. Father in heaven, I ask you this morning, teach us. Just teach us. There is so much power, but to be honest, God, I'm not really after the power, not after the praise of having a great prayer life, not after the applause of men, not after the demonstration of power, Lord, as we pray. God, I'm after the person in prayer. Oh, God, give me you. Make yourself known to me. Unworthy I come. Unworthy we are. Undeserving of your presence. But God, I come and I ask you, Lord, that you would change me as I spend time with my Father. Show me what you desire. Make me be what you desire. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two things this morning I want to tackle on, and and, and I'll have some notes on the screen, but these notes are not really to impact you with truthful statements you can reiterate throughout the week. Really what I want to do is um, just frame my thinking for you. Today we're going to 
We're going to have some time of prayer after all of this. That's why we put the offering in the front, the announcements in the front. Let's get down to what matters. It's our responding to God. And so uh, through prayer, I've asked God to strengthen me with the power of preaching with brevity this morning. Because I just want to get to be with my father. And I, and I really, man, guys, ugh. you know, I, there's, there's just, I tell myself, Scott, this is just a one-on-one conversation. And so I, just imagine me and you are sitting down at lunch and I'm face-to-face with you. Here's what I, here's what I would tell you, okay? I'm not, this, this is not a pastoral proclamation. This is just me and you. This is me and you. We got to get better. We got to do better. Because your wife needs you to do better. Your husband needs you to do better. And your kids need more from you than you can possibly give. Because the world's promising everything. And you and I, we're going to get there. But it'll be through prayer. It'll be not through will, determination, or knowledge and education. Those things will aid, but it will only be through prayer. We will never be the father, the mother, or the spouse, or the child of God that we're called to be unless you and I understand what this journey of prayer is like. So I'm asking you personally, will you come with me on this journey? And here's how it begins for me. i got to understand the impediments of, of my approach. There's two things that I see that are kind of contrast each other, and, and that is the impediments of our approach and also the approval of his invitation because we don't want to come because there's some impediments, some insecurities. We come to God, we have some insecurities, some things that we don't know how to come. They're, 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 they're problems. But God gives us an invitation, and that invitation is affirming to us that we can come. Whatever reason you have that you can't come, whatever you lack or whatever you've done, all that means nothing, nothing before God who judges you. And so this morning when I think about prayer, I I never think of the reason why I don't pray. I just find myself not praying. You know, I, I, I get busy or, or I have too many things going on or I get distracted or, or I elevate my priorities and all of a sudden I'm, I want to pray. My intention is there, but my action doesn't show up with my intentions. You know, sometimes I look around and I think, man, all these people who know how to pray, so good. I'm just over here trying to look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Because that's how it works, right? We feel like everybody else has got it together, right? Everybody's just walking on clouds and about to get that Enoch call and you're out of here, you know? Everybody's just holy and they got halos in the drawer all day long. And you're just trying to, hey, yeah, I know Jesus, you know? And he, he says he knows me. He didn't say that, but I read in his word. You know, he knows me. And so we come to a place where we, we feel like sometimes we fake it. We really want it to be real. And so when we come to prayer, we have these impediments that I feel. What I want you to know this morning is that, that, that we're not the only one. These problems are not unique. In fact, when I see it in Scripture, I'm so encouraged that great men <laughs> had problems like me. You know, men who split the Red Sea have problems when they come to God in prayer. And so I want to look at this morning. I think there's four things that, 
that we, we wrestle with when it comes to praying. The first is the lack of knowledge. We come to God, we don't know. And we say, well, I don't know, God, I don't know. I don't know, how to, I don't know how to ask you for this. I don't know if this is your will. I don't know, God, I don't know. We lack knowledge, and, and, and Job echoes these things uh, in his ability to lack knowledge. God responds to him. He says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Let me just stop right there. That's enough. You're praying, Job, and you ain't got a clue about what you're praying. So shut up. Let me tell you who I am. Job responds this way. New Living Translation says this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I even find the answers? (laughs) I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing to say. That's me. That's me. Lord, okay, I'll just be quiet. And so it's those experiences in life where I'm praying. The Lord's like, listen, Scott, you can't question me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I measured its, uh, its dimensions? Where were you when I laid the cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory. Where were you? I was thinking about myself, Lord. And so we have those places in life where we realize that God knows it all. We don't know it all. We don't know what to do because we don't know him. And so we lack knowledge. We lack knowledge of his word. The second thing is this, is that we lack confidence. We come to God and we say, Lord, I need you to do this, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is what you want. I'm praying your will. I'm praying that this will is your will because if this will is not your will, nothing will be done. And so, Lord, I'm hoping that this is what it is, but I'm not sure. We come to God, we lack confidence because we, we have some issues in our life. We have some sins, some secret struggles, or whatever it might be. But we, we come to God hoping and praying, but not really sure. David echoes this. He says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Why would you listen to me, Lord? Job 25 answers, he says, so one of his friends answers and says, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his heaven high. Is there any number to his armies upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who was born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? That's a lot of confidence right there. Even Moses, mighty man of God, says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God says, Who made that tongue? (laughs) Well, you did, but it's not really good. Mm. We lack lack confidence. Then we lack expectation. We don't trust God, right? We ask him to do things, and we don't trust him. We don't expect him to really really be so bold to do what we might ask him to do. I want you to go over there and pray for the lady in the wheelchair and raise her up. Okay, Lord. uh, Lord, I just don't know. I don't trust that I'm hearing from you, God. I want you to put that in the offering. I I don't know what to expect out of you, God, because the thing is, Lord, if I, if I expect you to do something and you don't, I either have to blame you or realize my worthlessness. And I don't know if I'm ready to do either one of those. Numbers 14, 1 through 3 says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? There's no expectation for God to do anything in their life. They're praying to God. They're not just grumbling. They are saying to the Lord with a loud cry, I don't think that you will. I think you messed up. Even Moses says, oh Lord, why have you done this evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? My expectation of who I thought you were and what you were going to do didn't really pan out, Lord. It's hard for me to trust you sometimes, God. If I'm just being real, it's hard to trust God sometimes. And it's, it's not because, um, it's not for any other reason other than I just don't want my expectations to fall in him. Can, are we being real this morning? I just don't want to lessen my view of him. Because if I pray about it, I want it to come to full uh, uh, circumference in life and, and to see that this is really happening. Lord, I want you to manifest this small thing, and if I feel like you can't make the small thing matter, then how do I know I can trust you with great things, God? So I bring this lack of expectation. The last thing is a lack of presence. I go to God in prayer, but I don't feel it. I don't really feel that God is doing anything great. And so we find ourselves in a difficult situation because we don't, we don't feel like we've been validated, Right? Look at David. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same thing Jesus said at the lowest point of his life. Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. Have you ever called upon God and it seemed like he was far, far, that you prayed and your prayers hovered right here, and that no God came down and inhabited your praise in your prayers, and you thought, I might as well pray to an idol because it feels like an idol cares just as much. I don't feel his presence. How do I validate that? And so oftentimes, because we lack knowledge, we lack expectation, and because we lack expectation, we lack presence, and when we lack presence, we lack confidence that he's heard us. But let me tell you that when you feel like you lack knowledge and you feel like you have no confidence to meet him in prayer, the prophet Isaiah says God tells us, come. Come. Whatever your impediment, whatever your problem, whatever your reason, whatever you don't pray, whatever you don't feel like you can come, the Lord says, come. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, 1 through 3. Isaiah brings us one of the greatest invitations God gives to those in need of him. And he says, come, everyone who thirsts, who come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Listen to me and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant because of my steadfast and sure love for David. What I want you to know is as we look here is 
is that, that Isaiah is not talking to a, a great saved generation. Any, anytime you read Isaiah and Jeremiah, you should know that Israel is at the height of its apostasy. That means child sacrifice, um, all kinds of sexual perversion going on. This is not the Israel we want to think about. This is the worst form of Israel. And so here God is saying to the worst, the worst state of Israel, he's saying, I've called to the nation, but the nation has rejected me, and so I'm going to have to judge it. But I'm calling to you individually. I'm saying, come. And here are the five elements that I see in this verse that give me confidence on knowing how to respond to his approval and his invitation. The first one is this. He shows me that these are the participants in his invitation. His participants are simply this, everyone who thirsts. You can come to prayer and you can respond to God only if you're thirsty. Only if what you need is not being met by other promises. I thought about the things in life that we go through and so many things in our life give us promises. But, but those promises are often broke. And so what he is saying here is everyone who thirsts. In other words, whatever, whatever promised you acceptance and you got rejected. Whatever promised you peace and you felt more anxiety. Whatever promised you do- joy and you felt depressed. Whatever promised you freedom and you left enslaved. Or whatever promised to quench your thirst but left you with it. He's saying, come, I've got something more to give to you, but you cannot come all, you cannot have all that God is giving you if you do not first thirst for it. So the only thing you got to work on is the thirst. Do you thirst for what he has? Second thing is the product. It says, come, buy wine and milk. When he says, buy wine and milk, he's not saying, buy wine and milk. Those are just great phrases to communicate a greater depth. When he says buy wine, what he's simply saying is this, is that wine represents you receiving something you didn't work for. You didn't labor over. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You didn't labor in the harvest. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't watch over the vine. You didn't harvest the vine. You didn't go through the crushing of the grape. And you didn't go through the the savoring of the time it took for it to ferment and be the right wine. But I'm going to give to you what you didn't work for and what you don't deserve. I would ask that you come and buy wine. And can I tell you, the Lord is simply telling us today that whatever you need, he has for you. And you don't even have to work for it. Come and buy the wine that he has for you. That may be joy, that may be peace, that may be restoration of a marriage, that may be a job, that may be provision, that may be anything. The Lord says that I have what you can't earn. And then he says to buy milk. Milk represents abundance. He says, I'm going to bring you into the land um, flowing with milk and honey. In fact, the word flow simply means this. It means to drip because of excess. And so the Lord is telling us is that when you come to me, I will will give you milk. I will bring whatever you ask for. I will bring it to you in abundance. That's huge because I need a whole lot of what he has to offer. I don't know about you, but a one-time forgiveness ain't going to work with Scott Brandon. A one-time grace, a one-time mercy, a one-time healing. No, I need the abundance of those things. In other words, he's saying that 
even more than you can assess in the, in the pasture and the produce, whatever you see that you think that you need, I've got more. In other words, you can never stop asking. Do you ever feel like sometimes you ask too much? That you're just, you're so much. Sometimes you say, Lord, just maybe, 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 you're, maybe you're asking for a healing. Maybe you're asking for forgiveness. Or maybe you're asking for deliverance. Or maybe you're asking for a restored relationship. Or maybe you're asking for strength to forgive. I don't know. But I can tell you that you can consistently be like that persistent widow and ask God. He will never be at the place where he says, that's enough. That's enough. No, because what he has for you is more than you'll ever need. He'll give you what you don't deserve, and he'll give you more than you'll ever be able to handle and receive. And there's a price to all this, but you don't got to pay for it. He says, without money and without price, God is saying, don't bring your money because you can't pay for this. When you come to prayer, you ask God what this need. He says, don't come to God this way. Lord, now, you know, I've been praying, I've been trying, I've been fasting. And I, no, you can't, you can't buy this. When you come to me in prayer, come knowing that everything I give you, you can't earn. You can only ask, and I'll only give it to you because I am the God who hears you and, and, and supplies your every need. Your job is to ask. My job is to respond. And as I respond to you, your job is then to reciprocate in praise. And as this process happens, you ask, I respond, you praise. You ask, I respond, you praise. And this is the structure of our relationship with our God. Notice it's never you do. You do, you do, and then I'll give you. In fact, we only do because we're saying we're thankful that he gave when he should not have given. That's why we work. That's why we act. That's why we follow. That's why we try to be righteous. And then the third thing he says is, or the fourth thing he says is, um, is the promise. There's a promise there. That when we come to God and we ask him for these things that we cannot pay for, and that we receive because we're thirsty, he says this, there's a promise that you'll receive it. And here's the promise. The promise is that your soul may live. But even greater, I, I want to bring this out. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And notice how he frames this promise to us. My steadfast, sure love of that lying, adulterous, murdering David. That the way I promise to be to him is the way I'll promise to be to you. So you can bring your immorality. You can bring your problems. You, you, you've, you've not yet, I hope that you've not yet progressed beyond the immorality of, the, of King David. Lazy. He, he, he was a lot of things. But I'll tell you what was great about David is that the Lord rewarded him because regardless of all of his shortcomings, he still had faith that the Messiah would come and that the Lord, his word would be established. He had faith in that. And the fact that he had that same type of Abrahamic faith is what the Lord said. He's after me. He knows my word. He believes in me. Yeah, I know he's got some issues, but he still believes I am who I say I am. And can I tell you this morning, when you go into prayer, I, I don't even care about what you've done. The, the, what matters to God is this. Do you believe that I am who I say that I am? 
Because if we can come to God and say, Lord, it's not about me, you know this, but it's all about you. And I only have the right to write a blank check because it's your name that signs it. It's not me. And then the last thing is the plea. He says, when you come, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon him. As I read, as I read that this week, I noticed that um, that struck me. Because the Lord won't always be near. The Lord won't always be found. He said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You ever thought about that in your life? What happens when it looks like when the Lord says, nope, I'm not going to hear you no more. There'll be a time in all of our lives where the Lord draws the line and says, no longer will you call upon me. No longer will I save you. No longer will I forgive you. In fact, David even makes this, this statement even more impactful. Psalms 1-5 says this, Therefore the wicked will not stand at judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The fact that those who are unrighteous will one day not allow to be in the company of those who are righteous. That's heavy. Because I don't know where you're at in your life but right now, but I, I don't know if you're, you're real sure with God or, or you're not, but, but, but David's very clearly saying that what you have right now, you won't always have. You won't always be able to walk into an atmosphere of praise and worship. You won't always be able to hear the word proclaimed and it change and touch your heart. You will not always be in the company of the righteous. And so while he's near, while he can be found, call upon him. I think in my mind, I think, okay, Lord. That's some pretty good reasons to come. <laughs> but, but if I'm being real, Lord, and I think about myself when I come to you, I would never allow someone like me to come. Lord, to know my thoughts and to know how holy you are, how could you ever think that I would be able to come to you and ask you, and you give me anything and everything that I need based off who you are and not what, Lord, I, I, I'm in a, I need to work for some of this. My way is I need, to, I need to earn this so I can value it. And then notice what the Lord says in response to how we think about things and how we would do things. He says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To claim a reason as to why you would not respond to God's bid that you come to him would be to place your thoughts above his thoughts and your ways above his ways. That's a real, that's a real gravity of a statement for me. 
to know that I can't respond to God in prayer for whatever reason it might be. Because I'm tired, because I've asked it too much, because I feel unworthy, because of whatever my priorities. I've not been talking to you for a long time. I've not been living right. Whatever reason I can put there, and then whatever reason I can justify while I'm not praying today, the Lord says, those are your thoughts. Those are your ways. But if you don't respond to me, you're saying that your thoughts, that your ways are higher than mine. And I do not ever want to claim that my ways and my thoughts are higher than God. And so this morning, here's how we want to respond. Um, I'm going to open the altars up, but I'm really going to make this whole room an altar call. It's 1110. Everything's done. We just got time to spend with God. So we're gonna, it's going to happen in two phases. We're going to open the altars up. I'm going to pray. We're going to open the altars up. I want you to come down here and pray, or I want you to turn in your seat and pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray with me. And then later on, we'll, we'll have the prayer team come up, and if you have a need, you have a sickness or an ailment, or you need someone to stand with you in prayer, we'll pray for you. But before we do that, I want us just to respond to God. And here's, here's your heart when you respond. Lord, you know I need to be better at this. I want to be everything that you have called me to be. But I cannot grow, and we cannot be the church you've called us to be until we make this journey that prayer is no longer a duty, but, oh, God, it's a delight. And so can we work on our prayer today, this morning? Father in heaven, I ask you, Teach us how to pray. Teach me how to pray. So that every prayer I put before you, God, is a prayer that you can answer. And sometimes the prayers that you answer, God, are not manifested in a way that I can measure them. Sometimes the prayers that you answer, God, are simply changes in our heart. That you're making us more like the person you desire us to become. And you're making us more like the person that people in our life need us to become. And so I pray, God, in this moment, Lord, we set aside every thought, we take captive every thought, Lord, and we come to you, Father. Many of us, God, out of discipline, maybe some out of delight, but, Lord, we come this morning in response to your great invitation that you bid us to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you move?